Well, good morning, everybody. How are we all doing this morning? I guess it's technically afternoon now, right? Anyway, thank you all for being here this morning. Once again, my name is Matt, and I'm the high school director, and I'm very honored to be sharing a message with you again. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, it's where we're going to begin in just a couple minutes. But last week, we had the opportunity to celebrate Mother's Day. It was a chance for us to recognize all of the moms out there, and we had a, a really great celebration. But before that, the week before that, we had embarked on a journey that was about living your calling. And Pastor Larry preached a message on the first part of this series entitled, That You've Been Called to Beloved. And he says that before you do anything else, before you start to really work for God, you need to recognize that you need to be loved by God. And so our first calling in this series was that you have been called to be loved. Well, I'm going to be picking up with the second part of this series today, and it's a a really cool one, and I think it's really important to me as well. And so if you take a look at your note outline and write it down, this will be our first fill in the blank. It's not only have you been called to be loved, you've also been called to belong. You've all been called to belong to something greater than yourselves, something greater than you could ever possibly imagine. We all want to feel like we belong, right? We don't like feeling isolated or alone or left out or left in the dark. We want to feel a place where we're comforted, where we feel warm, we feel connected, we feel a part of something. And so Jesus, in this statement, in this series about living your calling, he says, I have called you not only just to be loved, but I have also called you to belong. So if you would take a look at Romans, we'll actually begin there in just a second, but before we get there, I want to share with you guys a story. I like stories. I know the youth, well, I think the youth like stories, because that's how I relate to them. Otherwise, I'm just that boring guy who stands up front and preaches. But nevertheless, some of them are like, oh, he's doing it again. But um, share with you guys a story. When I was in college, I had a classmate who was in his own little world. Uh, it was in front of one of my, actually, my hermeneutics classes that I was taking. And every day before class, it was a night class. It was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And we would be meeting in like the downstairs back of the building, those classes that nobody wants to go to because it's late at night and you're just drained from the day. But as we would approach, without fail, every single night before class, this classmate would be standing 20, 30 minutes before class in front of the sidewalk, in front of the door, and he'd hold his hands like this, and he'd start playing an imaginary flute. And he would just start swaying back and forth and dancing and spinning in circles and going crazy. And at first, we thought he was insane, as typical people do. We would see him and be like, oh, we've got him in class. That's great. It's going to be a fun year. right? But as you start to get to know him, he actually wasn't a bad guy. He got along with a lot of the other classmates inside the class. But we would go about our days and we would recognize without fail that he would be there 20, 30 minutes before class every single time. And we realized that he was in his own little world. By him doing this, it was an expression of how he just released emotions, how he would release what was going on in his life. He was able to express it in a way that most of us wouldn't think we would naturally express it. So we didn't bother him. We left him alone instead of picking on him, which is the good Christian thing to do. Um, But we just kind of left him alone, realizing that he truly was in his own little world. And reading through scripture, I think that Christ, I know that Christ uses these same terms when it comes to us. He says that we are in our own little worlds. He says that, yes, you may be in this world, but you're not of this world. You may belong to this world. You may be living here, but you belong to something even more greater than what is currently here on the surface. And even in our own little world here on earth, we feel like we don't belong. We feel odd. We feel left out. We feel abandoned, isolated, left in the dark. But Christ says, no, you've been called to belong to something greater than you could possibly imagine. 
So looking at Romans chapter one, if you'd follow along with me, we're gonna be reading verses one through six. And it says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This last part is key. I like this last part. He says, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. It says it right there, plain, we've been called to belong, not just to be loved by God, but to belong to God. And when I start reading in scriptures, one of the first things that I do is I like to get the context of the story. I like to dig in and say, okay, well, who was writing? Why were they writing? What words did they use? Do those words impact the overall message that the writer's trying to get out? And that tries to, it makes the gospel and the word of God come alive when I start to read it that way. So as I was reading this, I found it very interesting of how Paul opens the book of Romans. He opens it by addressing who is writing this letter. And it's really important because it ties into us being called to belong. If you look at your note outline, the very first thing that he does is Paul identifies himself in his greeting as a servant of God. Specifically, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He said he's called to be a servant. Paul knew in his life that because he belonged to something greater in this world, that his life was no longer about him. It was about others. It was about giving glory to God in all that he did. Giving glory to God in every single aspect of his life. He says, I don't belong to this world. I don't belong to this Pharisaic religion that I'm practicing. I belong to God. And because I belong to him, it's not about me anymore. It's about doing what God wants me to do. And so Paul identifies himself as being a servant of the Lord. Now, in the Greek, this word means doulos. Servant, it means slave. And when we start to think about this, this word slave, and even the Roman context, it was a word that was insulting to them. It meant somebody who had no freedoms, somebody who had no rights, somebody who was dominated continually by their master. So it seems really fascinating as we start to read Romans that Paul says, hi, I'm Paul, I'm a slave to Christ. Why would he say that? What gives him the joy and the honor and the pride in calling himself a slave for Christ? Well, that's not the only time that he does it. And just a couple chapters later in Romans chapter six, Paul does it again. He says, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. This word slave, it still has an icky sound to it, right? And I just used icky in a sermon, that's weird. It has this weird feeling about it, this weird sound. We don't like this word slave. When we think of slave, we think of being attached with chains to the neck or to the ankles, being weighed down in our lives. We don't like slave. We don't like this word servant even. Even in the typical American culture, we don't like being told what to do. We don't like being a servant because being a servant, somebody's directing you and telling you what you're supposed to do. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be told what to believe. And this is why we see home businesses on the rise. Because in a home business, you're your own boss. You tell yourself what to do. And if you've got a problem with management, well, then you've got some more severe problems than you realize. But this appeals to us because you're your own boss. 
Same thing with Canyon Hills. Why Canyon Hills appeals to people is because as soon as you walk in the building, you come across these doors that say no perfect people allowed. Because we're not trying to tell you who you are. We're letting you come here as who God created you to be. That's why you're here. And so this is why Paul has this pride that he's able to boast this. He's able to proclaim this. And he doesn't just identify himself as a servant. The second part is he identifies himself as a slave. I'm not just a servant. I'm a slave. But this, once again, is just a weird word. Why would he associate himself with this? Why would he pridefully call himself a slave to God? You see, Paul knew what it was like to be a slave. Paul was a slave to the law. He was a slave to false religion, a religion that told him that he could only live, that he could only do good is if he strictly followed the legalism of a Pharisaic life. He was told in this law that it meant never feeling adequate, that you would never be enough. You'd always have to study, always have to keep doing things in order to matter. He'd have to keep going from place to place and doing act after act after act in order to feel like he could get better in his life. For Paul, it meant never feeling adequate. And because of this, he constantly had the threat of hell paraded in front of him. And in Paul's righteous religion, he didn't realize that, but he was actually being held as a slave to Satan on a path straight to hell. And so as Paul, he's on the road to Damascus, he's walking and Jesus confronts him and he says, no, Paul, I have called you to be set apart. I am pulling you out of this world and I've called you to be an apostle of the gospel of Christ. And so as Paul's on this road, he's going to persecute Christians and Christ confronts him and it becomes alive to him. It clicks. And Paul says, whoa, wait a second. I now understand. I now know who this God is. God made himself revealed to him. Paul realized that he wouldn't be saved through living the life of a Pharisee. He'd only be saved through believing in the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And the gospel message, it gained power for him. Well, maybe these people that I'm persecuting have it right. Maybe this false prophet everybody has told me about that I'm persecuting people for is not false at all. Maybe he's real. Maybe there's truth to the story. And so Paul began to change. It was about God becoming man and shedding his blood to save the world, to save Paul and his very sins himself. And at that moment, the chains of the law were broken from around Paul's neck. Christ had set him free. He says, I have forgiven you. I have saved you. You no longer belong to the Pharisees. You're no longer a slave to uh, to the law. You now belong to me. I've released you. But when God set him free with the gospel, he was now confronted with the promise of holiness, of comfort, of peace, of faithfulness, of mercy, and of grace. And Paul was overwhelmed by this. Paul, he looked at his life and he said, well, since Jesus has bought me, I now have this free salvation. I once was held captive by Satan and by sin, but I am no longer that slave. I now belong to God and God treats me so much better than Satan ever has. He comforted me. He sheltered me. He clothed me. He fed me. He forgave me. Something that Satan never did for me. You see, Paul's story is very similar to ours. His background is very similar to ours. We think we're in, that the world is in control of everything that we do, that we're held captive by the things that we do. And so we start to feel like we're inadequate, that we're alone, that we're isolated. There's no way I can measure up to God. Why even bother? And so we start to pull away, not realizing we truly belong to God, not truly belonging what's going on. But what we need to realize is that in this world, you only have two options. You either belong to God 
or you belong to Satan. You either belong to the world, to hell, or you belong to heaven. You either belong to the non-guilty party or you belong to the guilty and the condemned. Which do you choose? You're called to belong. Which do you belong to this morning? Which side? It's a hard question for a lot of us to answer. But it's because of this that Paul wasn't ashamed to proudly pronounce himself as a servant and a slave to God. He says, I know who owns me. I know who I truly belong to, and it is to God himself. So I will boastfully, I will go out and scream it as loud as I can that I belong to God because he has set me free. And I have repentance, I have faith, I have forgiveness, I have salvation and mercy and grace and all of these wonderful things through his name because I belong to him. Paul wasn't ashamed to admit that he belonged to God. He was a member of something greater than he could ever possibly imagine. See, when you're a member of something, you start to gain access to its perks. I would guess that most of us in this room are members of Costco for the perks of free samples at lunch, right? That's the only reason why we all have a Costco card, just to walk in, get it, and go. Maybe you browse the DVDs or other things as well, but nevertheless. See, as Christians, we have perks of Christianity. We have perks in the faith as well. First, we're called to belong to Christ. We're not just called that. He says, you should be a saint. God says, I'm not just going to give you these new sweaters or a new car or free samples at lunch or good health or fancy wealth. I'm not giving you any of that. What he says is, I'm going to give you something even more important than that, my very essence. I'm going to give you holiness. In scripture, Jesus says, I'm going to clothe, or to clothe, (laughs) club you, no. I'm going to clothe you with righteousness. I'm going to clothe you with righteousness. He says, here's my innocence. Here's my blood-bought forgiveness. Here's mercy. Here's grace. Here's freedom from sin and guilt in your life. But even more so than that, here's eternal life. And because I live, now you shall live. How cool is that? Through his forgiveness, God gives us grace and he gives us mercy. But we only receive that forgiveness if we belong to something greater than what's here in front of us on this earth, when we belong truly to Christ. And the best part about this is that this membership costs us nothing. Jesus calls us on the phone of the gospel and he says, hey, I'm offering you a lifetime membership to me, a lifetime membership free of charge. that has got all these perks that you could ever want and more. The world, yeah, they may temporarily give you happiness, but you won't experience true joy you want to have true perks and true blessings? Become a member of this. Believe in this. Receive this into your heart and I will set you free. Set you free from the chains that hold you back, the things that you're bound down by. So what's wrong with belonging to Christ then? Let me get this straight. Free salvation, no guilt, no fear, holiness, free perks, free food at Costco. Yeah, I can deal with that right? I like this thing. This sounds really good to me. But why do people choose to reject this? People say, well, I see the Bible and I know that I'm supposed to belong to it because it's written several times in there, but I also see the world and the world's enticing. I like the world. I would rather belong to the world than belong to this. And so over time they say, I don't need that. And they step away and they back off, not realizing what they're giving up. There's a story of a, a young man whose father was very rich. And during Christmas, the young man, he only asked for one thing. He says, dad, I want a new car. And Christmas came along, Christmas morning, they were in the living room and the dad looks over to his son and he gives him a gift and it's a Bible. 
And the kid looks at it and very indignantly, he thinks that his father being greedy or his father doesn't care about him or is just protective of his wealth. He takes the Bible and he throws it back at his father and he says, I don't need this and I don't need you. And he walks out of the house and he doesn't speak to his father again. Years pass and the father dies. And after the funeral, the man's in his father's office and he's going through his materials, remembering the argument that he last had with his dad. And out comes the Bible. And he picks up the Bible looks at it for a moment, and he opens it up. And as soon as he opens it up, a set of car keys fall out. The very same keys that he wanted when he was younger. And he couldn't believe his eyes, so he runs out to the garage, and he opens it up, and there underneath a car cover is a car that had never been started. You see, when the son rejected the gifts of the Bible, he rejected the gifts of his father and the gifts that were inside. And it breaks my heart to see so many people of our world look at this and say, I don't need this. I don't want this. So they reject the Bible. They say, I don't want to have anything to do with that because that can't help me. The world can help me. And by doing so, they're rejecting the gifts of the Father and the gifts that lie within this. Eternal life, blessings, forgiveness, salvation, hope, mercy, peace, all of these amazing things that he wants to give to you free of charge. If you just believe and you read, and you understand you belong to something greater than what this world could ever offer. Ever offer. It breaks my heart so many people don't want Jesus' free gifts. They look at Christianity as this ignorant religion, this no-fun religion of just do's and don'ts and a bunch of laws that are boring. So they don't want to belong to Christ, and they push it off. Say, I don't want any part of this. But the truth of this is, and it may be shocking for most of you, I want you to write this down, is that if you do not belong to Christ, you belong to Satan. I know it's blunt, it's forceful, but this is the truth. If you belong to things of this world, we know that the world, Satan runs back and forth. Satan's in control of the world. So if you are in the world, you are belonging to Satan. But if you are in Christ, if you're in his kingdom, you belong to God. I don't want to be a part of this world group. I don't want to belong here. I want to belong in the only thing that can truly save me. I want to belong to Jesus. I don't want to belong to Satan. And once we start to realize that we truly do belong to Christ, where we accept this, I don't want to be part of Satan, I want to be part of the cross, we open this up and we start to read and we start to receive the perks that he has for us. And one of the biggest perks that he gives us right off the bat that helps us with our sense of belonging is that we are start to find out that we have a true identity in Christ. He says, once you belong, God gives you a true identity. See, all of us are here for a purpose. We're here for a reason. We have a reason to exist, a reason to live. And you start asking yourself, well, why am I here? What's the purpose? And we start to think about all of these things. Well, you're not gonna learn your true identity through the world. You're not gonna learn it through your parents, through your coworkers, through your neighbors, through your relatives. You're going to learn it through having a relationship and belonging to God. That's the only way you truly find what your true identity is. It's in the word of God. Being founded in this is your true identity. See, we're all concerned about our identity. Perfect example of this is by the clothes that we wear. We wear clothes that have brand name logos on them. The things that we buy, the things that we say, the things that we do. Why? Because we associate these things with giving us an identity. If I were to go out and buy this shirt and walk around the streets, by the way, I'm acting as an advertisement for this company. Should they be paying me to wear their shirt? But nevertheless, by going out, if I were to wear their shirt, people would look at me and say, hey, cool, you surf. No, I just bought a $15 surf at the store. I don't surf. I've never surfed in my life, but they don't know that. But when people see this, my identity changes. 
People go out and they find fancy clothes and they try to dress themselves up to make themselves look like something. And they start to want to appeal and reach out to different groups of people. But that's not where our identity is. It's not in any of these things. It's not in logos. Like this morning, I have my Starbucks. We all like Starbucks, right? I have my Starbucks cup. And when I drink it, people see the Starbucks logo and they say, he is a legitimate coffee drinker. <laughs> that man right there, ooh, man, he is, he is ready to go. Yeah, me and my serious coffee addiction, my four pounds of sugar, two cans of whipped cream, three bottles of chocolate syrup, and a tablespoon of coffee grounds. I'm a serious coffee drinker with my Starbucks. But we start to identify ourselves based off of these things. My iPhone. We have iPhones. We have iPods, iPads, iBooks, iMacs, iProcs, because it's all about me. I want to look cool. I want to have the best stuff out there, because if I have the best, people see me as being the best. And so my identity becomes in the things that I own rather than where I truly belong. I start to define myself based off of things of this world rather than what God wants to define me as. And it starts to change the way that we think. We think that this kind of stuff is going to give us our identity. But the truth of this is, and I want you to write this down, is that your identity comes from your relationships. Your identity comes from your relationships for good or for bad. Meaning if you have a good relationship, you'll have a good identity. If you have a bad relationship, well, your identity is a little bit harder to understand. What I mean by this is that if you've got connections or relationships that are poor or broken, it's harder to define who you are. Think of a divorce, for instance. In a divorce, once you're separated, all those questions start piling up in your head. Well, what went wrong? Did I do something wrong? Am I a bad person? Were they a bad person? And you ask the question, well, what now? What do I do now? Or maybe you're in a marriage for several years and that other significant other passes away. And who you were, your identity was tied to your relationship with this person. I only knew who I was because of how I lived with this person. But once they're gone, who am I? What am I supposed to do now? All I know about how to live was built in who they were. Or maybe you have a job where you work 40 hours plus a week, where you go off and you spend more time in the workplace than you do at home where you work higher and higher up the ladder to get a title, to get significance and recognition in your business. And you start to identify yourself, well, I'm the CEO of this company. Well, you know what? That's great. But if that's taken away from you, who are you? Do you define yourself by your relationships to things of this world? Well, I'm an executive. I'm a serious Starbucks drinker. I'm a surfer. I'm a, a tech. Or do you identify yourself as belonging to Jesus Christ? By saying, God, I know that is where I truly belong. My relationship with you is the most important thing I could ever experience. And the hard part is, is that some people haven't had a good relationship growing up. They've never seen it modeled. So you may say, well, Matt, you don't know my family. We were dysfunctional. Matt, you don't know my family. Yeah, we had our hard times, but sure, we made it through okay. And you start to think about these things. And yeah, you're right. I don't know your life story. But the point I'm trying to make here is that how are you expected to show what a good relationship and what a true identity as a believer in Christ looks like if it's never been modeled for you? Do you model a true identity of one belonging to Christ to the people around you? And it's, it's hard because a lot of us, we identify and we tie our relationships with the things that we have. And with the rise of technology, I'm watching my generation, this generation, our generation, rapidly slip away into the delusion of social media. 
And this is something that's very significant on my heart because I'm a, a technology director and I see the really good profits and the good benefits of being involved with media and the amazing advancements it's made over the years. But in doing so, I also realize the severe dangers that are there as well. You see, whenever I go places, it's hard for me to look around and not find somebody who's looking down on their iPhone or their tablet or their device. And it's everywhere. I'm not exempt. I have my phone on my side all the time. All the time, it's with me. I'm on this more than I am anything else. Why? Because I feel connected to it. And it's everywhere. It's in restaurants. It's in your homes at the dinner table. It's in schools. It's in buildings and libraries and movies. It's even here in this church. Some of you are like, It's even here in this church. You see, we're slowly, actually we're rapidly becoming immersed into the ability of instant connection. Where we say, you know what? I only feel like I belong. I only feel like I fit in if I know what's going on around me 24-7. I need to know what everybody is doing right now in the world. Thank the Lord for Facebook. Right? You start to identify yourself. Well, my true life's purpose is to read about other people's lives. My true life's purpose is to sit at home on a computer at night and start typing some sad story about my life to get attention or some funny quirk to make people laugh and feel better. That's my life's purpose. Or maybe my life's purpose is to search the internet to find the best looking cat pictures out there because the internet has some creepy fascination with cats. Or maybe my life's purpose is to take a picture of every single piece of food that I ingest 24-7 throughout the day. Right Now, this is a weird one. I don't understand this one because without the rise of technology 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I don't know how you made a meal, then went to the cabinet, grabbed your Polaroid camera, took a picture, went to the store, got it developed, ran all the way back home and started showing your friends. Probably just doesn't have the same appeal. But why do we do these things? Because we only feel that we're connected and we're fitting in when we belong to something that is active. When we belong to things that get people to look at. And so we identify ourselves by the things that we post on Facebook, the things we buy on eBay or Amazon, the videos that we watch on YouTube, or the different blogs that we subscribe to. And we identify ourselves by these ways. And it's heartbreaking because this isn't what it's about. Our identity is found in our belonging and our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. It's not in liking statuses. It's not in posting 24-7. It's nothing to do with this social media aspect. And like I said, I'm not here to bash on social media. I know it sounds like that or technology because it has great advantages, but there are also great dangers that come with it. There's a video that's viral right now by a man named Gary Turk, and it's called Look Up. And it talks about the dangers of the addiction of social media. And I know some of you have seen it because I stalk your Facebooks and uh, you actually like it. But nevertheless, it's a very impactful look on just how dangerous this idea of social media is. Even more than that, how we spend so much time looking down that we miss looking up to see the benefits of Christ. Are you one of these people who is constantly 24-7 looking down, missing the world around you and what God's trying to reveal to you? Or are you getting up and looking at the word of Christ? When you wake up in the morning, is the first thing you do is check your Facebook? Or is it to read the word of God? It's rampant because people see social media as being so easy at their fingertips that it controls their lives. I could try to describe this video, but I couldn't do it justice. So I'm going to let Gary speak for himself. Watch this. I have 422 friends, yet I'm lonely. I speak to all of them every day, yet none of them really know me. 
the problem I have sits in the spaces between looking into their eyes or at a name on a screen. I took a step back and opened my eyes. I looked around and realised that this media we call social is anything but when we open our computers and it's our doors we shut. All this technology we have, it's just an illusion. Community, companionship, a sense of inclusion. Yet when you step away from this device of delusion, you awaken to see a world of confusion, a world of self-interest, self-image, self-promotion, where we all share our best bits but leave out the emotion. We're at our most happy with an experience we share. But is it the same if no one is there? Be there for your friends and they'll be there too but no one will be if a group message will do. We edit and exaggerate, crave adulation. We pretend not to notice the social isolation. We put our words into order until our lives are glistening. We don't even know if anyone is listening. Being alone isn't a problem. Let me just emphasize, if you read a book, paint a picture, or do some exercise, you're being productive and present, not reserved and recluse. You're being awake and attentive and putting your time to good use. So when you're in public and you start to feel alone, put your hands behind your head, step away from the phone. You don't need to stare at your menu or at your contact list. Just talk to one another. Learn to coexist. I can't stand to hear the silence of a busy commuter train where no one wants to talk through the fear of looking insane. We're becoming unsocial. It no longer satisfies to engage with one another and look into someone's eyes. We're surrounded by children who, since they were born, have watched us living like robots and think it's the norm. It's not very likely you'll make world's greatest dad if you can't entertain a child without using an iPad. When I was a child, I'd never be home. Be out with my friends on our bikes, we would roam. I'd wear holes in my trainers and graze up my knees. We'd build our own clubhouse high up in the trees. Now the park's so quiet, it gives me a chill. See no children outside and the swings hanging still. There's no skipping, no hopscotch, no church and no steeple. We're a generation of idiots, smartphones and dumb people. So look up from your phone, shut down the display. Take in your surroundings, make the most of today. Just one real connection is all it can take to show you the difference that being there can make. Be there in the moment that she gives you the look that you remember forever as when love overtook time she first holds your hand or first kiss your lips, the time you first disagree but still love her to bits, the time you don't have to tell hundreds of what you've just done because you want to share this moment with just this one, the time you sell your computer so you can buy a ring for the girl of your dreams who is now the real thing, the time you want to start a family and the moment when you first hold your little girl and get to fall in love again, the time she keeps you up at night and all you want is rest and the time you wipe away the tears as your baby flees the nest. The time your baby girl returns with a boy for you to hold and the time he calls you granddad and makes you feel real old. The time you take in all you've made just by giving life attention and how you're glad you didn't waste it by looking down at some invention. The time you hold your wife's hand, sit down beside her bed. You tell her that you love her, lay a kiss upon her head. She then whispers to you quietly, as a heart gives a final beat, that she's lucky she got stopped by that lost boy in the street. But none of these times ever happened. You never had any of this. When you're too busy looking down, you don't see the chances you miss.
So look up from your phone and shut down those displays. We have a finite existence, a set number of days. Don't waste your life getting caught in the net, as when the end comes, nothing's worse than regret. I am guilty too of being part of this machine, this digital world we are heard but not seen, where we type as we talk and we read as we chat, where we spend hours together without making eye contact. So don't give in to a life where you follow the hype. Give people your love. Don't give them your like. Disconnect from the need to be heard and defined. Go out into the world. Leave distractions behind. Look up from your phone. Shut down that display. Stop watching this video. Live life the real way. The reason why I showed that video and the point that I'm trying to get out here is that if you're too busy looking down, belonging to things of this earth, you're going to miss all of the amazing things that God has in store for your life. They're all around us all the time, and it's so easy for us to miss if we belong to the wrong things. We need to belong to this relationship that God has called us to, where we're called to be loved, and where we're called to belong to something greater than ourselves. See, when we start to give way, and we start to lose back this idea of God, and we become more immersed in the things of the world, the sins start to define who we are the sin of adultery, the sin of porn, the sin of alcohol, the sin of drugs or addiction, sin of deceit. And they start to define our lives. But the point of this is, is that when you're invested in all these things, you think that that's who you are. But write this down because it's important for us to know is that your identity is not your sin. Your identity is not found in things of this world or in technology or the things that you think that you have become. Your identity is found in belonging to Christ. That's where your identity is. Don't let sin define who you are. Let God define who you are this morning. Let him show you what a true loving relationship looks like. What a true identity that's founded in him that is so firm that it will never fade away truly starts to look like. Because that's what he wants to have for you. See, Jesus isn't ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call you a brother or sister. He's included you as part of his family. He says, I love you and I want you to belong. So I've invited you into my family. You belong here. And that's the last point that I want to emphasize is that not only are we called just to belong, but it says that you are called to belong to God's family. You're called to belong to God's family. He wants to have this relationship with you, and this is the perfect place to start. You see, your true identity is kept hidden to you by the world because the world doesn't want you to know what you've been created to be, who you've been created to be. It says, well, God's got amazing things in store for you, but that's going to take your attention away from me. So it tries to hide who you truly are. But once you truly start to see that God has created you for something so much more, you realize the blessings that he has in store for you. We need to recognize that we are part of God's family. And I don't know most of you personally. I don't know what your daily lives look like. But I do know one thing for certain is that every single one of us belongs to the family of God. And that family is the church. God calls his family the church. He says, this is where we are to love one another. In scripture, coming up in 1 Timothy chapter 3.15, he says, I'm writing to you so you will know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church of the living God, the support and the foundation of the truth. See, God formed us for family and we belong to his family. That's what it's about. He's designed us to connect. God says that he wants us not to be out there on our own, some lone ranger who's fighting these battles all by ourselves. 
says, I've built you for so much more than that. I want you to connect. I want you to go and be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be loved upon, and to build each other up. You were built to connect. This reminds me of Legos. I loved playing with Legos all the time as a kid growing up. And there's only one purpose of Legos. Legos were designed to connect. That's what they were designed to do. If a Lego doesn't connect, it's just this worthless piece of plastic that you can choke on. But it's this worthless piece of plastic, right? Legos are built to connect. And when you connect these pieces together, you can make some amazing, beautiful things. There's certain hobbyists whose their whole life is devoted to creating different Lego creations. I mean, there's even a Lego world for it. They were created to connect. But if a Lego doesn't connect, it's just this worthless piece of plastic that sits in a pile on the floor. That gets knocked over in the middle of the night when you're trying to go to the kitchen, the pitch black, and you step on, and you'd rather amputate your foot than deal with the pain of stepping on a Lego. So the boogers hurt. But you were built to connect. That's what it's about. You were built to connect to belong to something greater than yourself. When the tragedy of September 11th happened and the World Trade Centers were attacked, America rose up and they joined together. They put American stickers on their cars and flags up in their streets and their homes, and millions and millions of people gave money and time and effort to support. Firefighters and policemen and construction workers and volunteers came from all over the world to help. Why? Not because it was their job, because they knew they belonged to something greater than just themselves. In the same token, Paul, when Paul looked out and he saw this world of unbelievers was headed straight to hell, he realized that it was his duty to become an apostle. And as an apostle, one who knew what it was like to have the love and the mercy and the grace of God living inside of him, he wanted to take this message and show it to all of this unbelieving nation to say, you are a part of God's family. And that's why he says in that Romans chapter one, that you are called to belong. You belong to something greater than yourself. You just don't realize it. Why? Because our world is so full of distractions. We're plagued every single day by distractions, things that try to take our focus off of God. Because that's what the world wants to do. They want to keep us enticed. It wants to keep us held down and chained. Because that's not what it's about. Be set free from your distractions. Be set free from technology and your labels and your titles and your jobs and the things that you think you identify yourself with and identify yourself with me. Because this is where true love lies. And we live in a world where distractions, where we start to feel that there are tears of hurt feelings and where people really just don't feel like they fit in. But you need to know right here and right now this morning that you are called not just to be loved by God, but you are called to belong to God, to belong to his family. And you're part of something that's bigger than you could ever realize. And if you're feeling hurt, if you're feeling isolated or you're alone or discouraged or down or in the dark, Christ says, come running to me, the shepherd. I will embrace you. I will hold you. I will take comfort of you because this is where you belong. I have called you here. I didn't call you because of your abilities. I didn't call you because of your titles or who you associate with. I called you because I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of forgiveness. A God who died to pay the way for your sins to be forgiven. And I choose you to be here with me right now. So the question I leave you all with this morning is, when you look at your lives, where do you belong? Do you belong to a title? Do you belong to a relationship? Do you belong to a job? Do you belong to social media? Or do you belong to the one thing that'll truly give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? the guide to life, the guide to live. That's belonging to Jesus Christ. If you join me in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that even with all of our faults and our weaknesses and all of the many sins in our family, God, that you love your family, the church. God, of course, it's going to be imperfect. It's filled with imperfect people, but you love it. And Jesus, I thank you that you're not ashamed to call us your brothers and your sisters. And Lord, may we never be ashamed of your church, your family. Lord, you said in your word that Christ died for the church. And I pray that we would have the same attitude in our lives and the attitude of our brothers and sisters. You said that we would know what love is when we lay down our lives. God, may we realize that we're not just friends. We're not just attenders. We're family. God, that we stick up for each other. We support each other. We care for each other. And Lord, that you take care of our needs. God, that we don't belong to things of this world, that social media will never fill the void in our heart that only you can fill. God, reach into our lives. God, set us anew. Refresh our spirits. Refresh our minds. Lord, give us your joy. Give us your mercy, your grace, your repentance, your salvation, your holiness, Lord. Set us free from captivity. God, let this world look at our church and say, this is a church that belongs to God. This is a group of people that truly belong to God and they have found their true identities in his will. God, we love you so much. God, and if we haven't stepped across that line, God, and just realize the impact of you in our lives, God, we call out and we ask you to come to this place right now and come into our lives to change us and to save us. We wanna live as part of your family. We want to accept your call to be loved and to belong to something greater than ourselves. God, let us feel your presence. Let us know you're here. Let us be a part of your family. We love you, God, and give this in your name. Amen.